Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you may be. I am Nicole Beasy, the creator and creative behind this podcast. You know everything because you know what, my friend? You do. You really do. Here, we explore big ideas for big dreams. We toss around the best in business strategy and the powerful paradigms and perspectives that push projects from possibility to powering through. I am a new world business builder, a 21st century CEO coach, a founder and investor, having started, saved, or shuttered over 40 businesses in my tenure, let alone coached and consulted to hundreds more from around the world, multi-industry, or I should say industry agnostic. And I just recently started three new businesses just in the last few months. This is my art. You know everything is the synergy of my ideas with genius, time, and traveling to sit with leaders, influencers, change makers, activists, and, you know, plain old regular people who had an idea and grew it to make impact in their world. Here we leave a legacy of not just how to, but why the fuck not? Because business means taking your dreams seriously. I haven't gotten any feedback y'all. So I'm just going to roll with this intro. I feel like, you know, fancy podcasts have intros. We can skip past it. I would. (laughs) This is the first podcast I've recorded in 2023. And last episode, which was the first podcast of 2023, we talked about the future, all of the things that technology and visionaries and creatives and brilliant minds and simply believers are putting out into the world. I was going to say fearlessly, but I don't know that. They're probably scared shitless, but they're doing it anyway. And what I wanted to really talk about today, because when I think about just my own tenure in this this physical experience, quite a lot has happened and I'm going to date myself fairly significantly. But like there's this little this little micro generation and it has all sorts of fun names, but we we fit somewhere into the Gen Xers and the millennials. We were born analog and we graduated digital. So in college, my friend, I was I could turn in handwritten assignments. Not everybody had computers. There was a computer lab at school and you could rent a computer for an hour, but we were still like, we didn't have internet at my house. Phones, cell phones weren't even a thing that everybody had yet. Like, (laughs) I mean, I didn't hang out with like the wealthiest people, which may or may not have had something to do with it, but so much has changed in just the 43 years that I have been here. And What I find fascinating about that, and I kind of warned you with last time that I thought some of the tech, some of the advances are going to leave you feeling potentially left out, potentially ostracized, like maybe you don't have the same opportunity or the same access to some of these tools or some of these evolutions. Chat GPT, which has been around for a minute, went, you know, caught by wildfire, went viral, shall we say, online. And your average layman's can start experimenting with AI. If you've been in my Discord container, you know that we've been playing with Midjourney, which is an art AI. There's lots of debate around these technologies. That's not exactly why I'm here, although I'm always up for a good conversation. I believe that through the acceptance and leveraging of any tool that's available, you can create more. Now, is more necessarily better? No, no, absolutely not. But like every single one of us has this unique blueprint for success. And 
how do you build that? You find the tools, you find the systems, you find the structures that support you on your worst day. And in my experience that is done through iterative improvement, through design theory, go listen to that podcast if you want. I've also launched in the Discord a handful of new things that I'm trying to make just simply working with me more accessible and more inclusive. And so varying price points, whether you want to do a workbook at home without any interaction, or you want to participate in a live group regularly for a long time, please get into the Discord container. If you're listening to this, you can use Pod Profit Squad as a coupon. I was giving everybody in the container and everybody in the loop 75% off. There's four different products I haven't even launched yet. They're not even live yet, but I want to reward people for listening, for participating, for supporting me. This is a two-way street, my friend. So Pod Profit Squad is going to get you a discount. You can figure that out at the different sales pages for the different products. There's the exit strategy, there's building better boundaries, there's love your workshop, and there is the psychic profit squad coming up. I'm going to be getting into all of those. So I'm not going to waste your time right now, but just know the discord container, the loop, which is the weekly ish newsletter that I send out. Those are the, the places to find out first what's going on in my world, how you can work with me, how you can better resource yourself, how you can connect with other visionaries and creators and change makers and rebels and rule breakers doing it their way, unplugging from the matrix, creating their own freedom and livelihood through business. And again, business can mean whatever it means to you. My definition is it's taking things seriously. So whether that's your art, whether that's your creations, products like this podcast, whether that is an actual structured bricks and mortar business with a lease or a mortgage or a building that you own outright, like you do you boo. I'm just here to facilitate the process because you know everything. (sighs) Okay. Oh my God. What? I don't even know where that came from, but we're having some fun with it. That's what I like to do. And as I kind of went down memory lane with all of these different evolutions that occurred just in my lifetime, what I realized is that every single time some of these things hit the market, hit the mainstream, became mass adopted, like we we thought it was like the end of the world. Like Y2K, anyone? <laughs> Jesus. Certain things occurred that we thought we would never recover from, or we cannot remember life without them. Like, I don't know who or when or where you came from, but can you imagine life without a cell phone right now? I used to tour Europe using a map. Like, it blows my fucking mind that not every marriage ended in divorce without Google Maps or iMaps or whatever ways or whatever whatever it is that you use. Like, how did we get around before? And that's what I mean with these disruptive technologies. It felt apropos that in last time, you know, looking forward and in some of the technologies that we talked about, you know, AI replacing 30% of the workforce, nanotechnology, cleaning up the ocean, fully manufactured meat, fully manufactured organs, restaurants using 3D printing to create food. Like there's going to be a lot of energy around each one of those concepts. But my friend, we have been here before. We have weathered the storm. And in fact, some of the things that freaked us out the most that we literally thought like the world was going to end as a result were firstly non sequiturs and or actually pivoted us towards 
our future success. What it it did end poorly when we realized that some of these new ideas, new pieces of technology, new creations were less than ideal, that still benefited us because in with 2020 hindsight, with any contraction, with any implosion, with any destruction, we rebuild and we learn how to do that better. And in fact, we probably wouldn't have forced ourselves to do that had we not had that crumbling, oh my God, we're all going to die kind of moment. So I just like wanted to remind you of these things because I think ultimately what we're playing with as per always is like the energy, the energy behind it, how we connect with each other, how we engage with each other, not just our relationships with other people, but our relationships with our materialism, our relationships with the way that we perceive and engage with this world. And how we resource ourselves, not just again with money or materialism, but like with energy is quite literally how we move forward. And I personally believe history repeats itself. I've also heard history doesn't repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. It is through the use of our energy and our experience that we create success. And so it was kind of a fun walk down memory lane for me to look back at some of these technologies, especially since I consider myself I don't want to say I'm an early adopter only because I'm like so distracted and doing a hundred thousand million things at any given time that like often I'm just not the first to know, but I'm like that next. I don't buy like the new iPhone in September. I get it in like March (laughs) and don't get me, don't get me the cult of Apple. Look, I I got sucked in. I've been branded. It is not an identity, but it is um, an, a, I don't want to say necessity, but I'm not going down the Apple, although we will be talking a lot about Apple in this episode. So I'm just going to start with 1980, the Sony Walkman. Can you guys listening to this even remember not portable music? I, I doubt it. I don't. There was never a moment in my life when I couldn't walk around and listen to music. And I can remember my dad, who is an avid runner, the first time he went for a run. And so Sony, here's what else I thought was really interesting. I don't bring out price points with a lot of this, but Sony Walkman retailed for $150, which at the time would be around like a $500 product right now. So, you know, pretty aspirational for a large majority of people. And we'd already moved down to Southern California. So I would have been at least seven, eight years old. And I know it was uh, like when my dad was running in the state park. And so like, you know, I, I like we rented a bunch of different houses. I, I like, so I have like, this is probably actually like not until like the late eighties that we had a Walkman in the house. And it, it like, he came back and was like, I, I just ran 10 miles. Like I just literally doubled the length of my run. And it blows my mind that we didn't have portable music. And and I like can't imagine a world without it now. CDs also like hit the market in the, in 1980. I think 19, I want to say 1982 or 1984 is when the first Apple Macintosh hit the market. So again, like people don't have portable music. They don't have computers. There's no internet. Like That was my childhood. And I think we were all very hopeful that these technologies, these products would be influential. But for the most part, for your average person, they were inaccessible. And so, you know, they became a part of like celebrity with these introductions. They still still felt very futuristic. Like I was going to call this episode Back to the Future, but I'm pretty sure I can't do that. (laughs) It literally changed the way we engage with our world in such a profound manner. I can't remember what life was like without music. 
as my sound. And, and I mean, honestly, I listen to podcasts and spoken word 10 times more than I do listen to music right now. That has a little bit more of with my like music industry past than it does with anything else. But like, I can't imagine not I, like, not only can I not imagine having a computer in my home, I can't imagine not having a computer on me at all times in the form of my phone. We talked about that, like a hundred percent of the world's population is going to have not just a computer, but a, a supercomputer on them at all times within the next five years. Okay. I'm just, I just wanted to bring this one out because I, y'all, y'all are with me on this one. If you even remember it, the VHS versus Betamax debate. And let me tell you, my friend, we had a Betamax machine. We might still have it. Oh no. Cause I moved my parents out of their garage. We, we retired the Betamax machine only last year. For those of you who have no the fuck idea what I'm talking about. Once upon a time when Blockbuster ruled the earth, you could rent movies, like you go to the library and rent a book, and they came in one of two formats, a giant VHS tape and a small Betamax tape. Now, I'm speaking out of school, but I'm pretty sure Betamax was the OG, and then VHS was the competitor. But why VHS one? Because like everybody, it's sort of like, you know, records versus cassettes, and then cassettes versus CDs, and then CDs versus MP3s. Like everybody argues about the quality and the fidelity of these different like audiovisual products. And I'm pretty sure like beta was meant to be like the higher fidelity as in like the higher quality, the better sound, the better picture. Uh, I, I'm not even going to get into like what the pixels were at that time. But now that we're doing things in like HD, it was hilarious. It's why like, you can't even watch old movies anymore, but I digress. Camcorder. So the portable video recorder that allowed people to record videos in their hands, like again, mind bending technology. Now we all record video without even thinking about the fact that this wasn't available to most people outside of like movie producers 30 years ago. But because the camcorder adopted the VHS format, VHS beat out Betamax, but that was only until we had laser discs. Do y'all remember that? And uh, yeah, I'm not going to get on that either, but that didn't happen until later in this introspective. So we had, this was also one that I, I got a, a big kick out of. And again, all of my um, oldies are going to relate to this, but do you remember? Clap on, clap off. That was the first smart home device, my friend, when we could turn a light on or off by simply clapping our hands. So that was introduced in the mid 80s. Um, and we did see the very first mobile phone, the Motorola Dynatac 8000X. And it was like the size of a shoebox, not including the antenna. Yeah, I mean, it could make calls. I think I have on here when the first, oh, the first text message wasn't sent until 1992. But for all my gangsters out there, we were using pagers and then using numbers to send messages like 6006. It was very, very high tech. We also saw the very first home gaming consoles in the mid 80s. So the ZX Spectrum and the Commodore 64. And up until that moment, there were computer games, but we didn't have we didn't have computers dedicated specifically to gaming. And I think we all know how that absolutely changed the world. Actually, except for me, because I wasn't allowed to play video games and I'm still like a complete noob when it comes to video games. But I do remember Game Boys hitting the scene in 1989. So that was the first handheld gaming device by Nintendo. And my brother's absolutely begging for it. I think there was some like cross-country road trip where my parents finally decided that, you know, they also were trying to avoid divorce, not just through having to read maps, but through children screaming for 18 hours straight. So they acquiesced. And then my brother spent 
you know, their childhood arguing over who got to play with the Game Boy. I don't know if anyone's going to remember this. I tried to wipe this one from my memory, so I had to bring it back up. But night in 19, the early 90s, we had the floppy disk. And here's what's like fucking mind blowing, you guys. Do you remember the storage for a floppy disk? And for anybody who doesn't know, it was like, it was like a plastic, a semi-hard plastic. What was it the size of? Like if you had like two iPhones together, and I say that just because I'm looking at my iPhone right now. It was like the like size of like a Kindle. So I'm looking at my Kindle. Uh, half of an A4. Was that make it like A7, I think? Probably like five inches by five inches. Anyways, I'm getting lost in the weeds on this one. It stored 1.44 megabytes. A picture you take on your camera is like 10 times that size now. It would store like maybe 10 Word documents. It was abysmal what a floppy disk could hold. And that was the only way we could get data off of one computer and onto another. For anyone who's been paying attention, we're at the end of the 90s. I'm sorry, the end of the 80s, the beginning of the 90s, aka 1990. Guess what happened? The internet. There isn't a way to describe how that's changed the world. And imagining before the internet is almost impossible. What I will say is I read a lot of books and I played a lot of imaginary games with a hodgepodge group of dolls. And I would spend hours and hours, like all day, every day outside building like tree forts and playing in like the bushes or down by the beach when I got to Southern California. So yeah, lots of outdoor activities pre-internet. 1991 Linux was starting to be used. So that was like, I'm not an engineer or software developer, but I do remember Linux and I remember nerds, I say that most fondly, you're my favorite people, being able to like hack computers and by hack meaning like they could they could sort of create their own operating system and speak almost directly to the computer and tell the computer kind of what to do. And they could create these like very specific programs using Linux. So it felt like it was almost like consumer-based programming language. I already said 1992 is when the first SMS was sent. And I wanted to pull this one out as well, because this is just like one of my more recent heroes with A16Z, which is this huge VC and builder in Web3 and like a lot of internet technologies. But in 1993, Mosaic was launched. And this was a web browser created by Mark Andreessen and Eric Bina, grad students at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications located at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Mosaic eventually became Netscape, which dominated the web really until, well, AOL, Yahoo, and Google. But like in 1993, the first web browser was created. Up until then, like, the internet existed. I mean, I think it had been around for a couple decades, but no one no one knew how to be able to interact with each other and, and bring this World Wide Web together in a manner that was viewable and read and writable, right? Web 1, 1994, when Amazon was created. I don't actually remember that in 1990. Oh, well, 1994, I was six. So that's my excuse. What's yours? But, you know, I mean, you hear all the stories of the founders. And I think like, it's so easy to look at Amazon now and like kick yourself for not buying stock. But like, when Amazon launched, it was a dude in a garage who was fucking broke, who asked 200 people he knew if they would give him five to 10 grand. We don't think about these future technologies, these future game changers. And there's so much that's going to be introduced just in the next few years. And I know it's cliche to say that could be the next Amazon, but like that's not to mean like your next big investment or like maybe your next job or 
the next technology that you're really adopting. It's to say like that actually changes the entire world and the way that we think and engage with each other. Like how has Amazon influenced retail? Like in the 1980s, 1990s, even the 2000s, like what did you do? You went to the mall, you went shopping, you would you potentially spend days, like, like Christmas shopping was something that people started in July. In 1994, Amazon was introduced and now people don't even leave their homes to go shopping. It's kind of fucking mind-blowing. Oh, another, okay, this is a fun little note. So I mentioned in 1994 is when I was sick. In terms of this like game-changing technology, so one of the reasons I survived was something called a PET scan, which stands for Positron Emission Tomography. And what it is, is it's a type of nuclear medicine, like an MRI, that measures the metabolic activity of the cells of body tissues. So I got this scan in 1994, and it was invented in 1997, and it was awarded an international prize for changing science in 1998. In measuring the metabolic rate of cells, what it would do is show you cancerous cells because cancerous cells metabolize at a faster rate than all of the other cells around them. That's essentially what metastasizing cancer is doing is it's, it's growing and multiplying, right? And I remember getting the scan. And I had to sit in a dark room for eight hours straight. I was 14 years old. I was injected with what I was told was nuclear medicine, which, you know, a little bit freaky. And then I essentially had to call my body to the point where, you know, they thought like, now they know that this isn't what needs to happen, but they thought that I had to basically be like sleeping so that they could then see how this medicine showed up in this scan. And they didn't actually know what the results were. All they could see was different data. And that scan saved my life. Like that sign showed them where the metastasizing cancer was, where it wasn't. And even though they weren't, it was very experimental. It was only because my dad is a doctor and, you know, he, he worked in nuclear medicine in the hospital where the scan or not in the hospital, but he had a friend of a friend of a friend who was the person that was doing this huge study. And so I was able to participate because I was willing to be like a complete guinea pig. And I thought that that was another interesting highlight for this technology. Like if you told your average mom, we're going to inject your daughter with nuclear medicine, make her sit in a dark room by herself for eight hours, and then put her in a giant machine that none of us really know is going to do, it could be harmful, it could be helpful. How many people say yes to that? And it would have changed the complete trajectory of my life. And this is a piece of science that like, I don't think a lot of people are, know about or are familiar with unless you've had cancer. So again, like that fear of technology, where does it come from? What are you afraid of really? Like what's the story you're telling yourself? And I've found, as some of you know, if you're paying attention, like I've launched a new Web3 consulting company called Eon Tech. I am the, now the CEO of a DAO called City Roots. Please check it out. Actually, Shannon definitely links City Roots DAO in the show notes. We're doing all sorts of cool cool developments in terms of building and web three and making web three accessible for small business owners and entrepreneurs and creatives and artists. But I digress. Very unshameless plug. I'm super proud of that work. And it's because I say yes to tech. I say yes to the future. I try things. Like I said, I'm not the earliest adopter, but I like to understand how things work. And by saying yes to something new, I believe you're saying yes to success. And that doesn't rhyme because I'm being cheesy, but hey, let's go with it, right? Next example, the Palm Pilot. Now I didn't have a Palm Pilot, but there was another like handheld sort of, I think it was a Blackberry that was like followed the Palm Pilot. That's when I was like starting in the music industry. I bought one used. 
I bought one from somebody that wanted to get the next, like they were an early adopter. I bought it used. I learned how to use it. I could send emails from my phone. It felt like a complete game changer. I thought I was another fucking boss. And then another one in 1998, Google went public in 2004, but 1998 is when Google actually launched. So for those of you who like, literally it's been around your whole life, there was a time pre-Google. It was hard. We had to like read encyclopedias, <laughs> like know things and study. In 1999, Bluetooth was introduced. And I remember, because this is like right in my early days of music industry, when we discovered that you could send music using Bluetooth. And one of the bands I was managing, I told them to send their newest song to everybody that had a cell phone with Bluetooth in the audience, which was not a lot of people. I mean, like, honestly, I think we were at a venue of like 600 people. There was probably 400 in the room, maybe 10 had a phone with Bluetooth, but we sent them a song and it was fucking unbelievable. And now again, like you text people, all sorts of things that you don't even think about. Okay, I'm going to go fast through the 2000s. Lots of things happened. These are very like software application based. It's probably my own bias that filtered that. But I would be remiss if I were to skip the Y2K bug. And if I'm being perfectly honest, this is when I was going to university, working full time in full blown like touring management. I was pretty like in my own little world. And if you know, you know. <laughs> so I thought the Y2K thing was like, LOL. People legitimately thought like the world was going to come to a halt. They thought that all computers were going to crash and then all of our electrical grids would go down. All of our communication grids would go down. The internet would go down. Flights like planes would drop out of the sky. I'm not exaggerating. Planes would drop out of the sky. Shelves went. It was like, you know, the, the great toilet paper pandemic debacle of 2020. I should probably not say that so lightly. I don't know if that's funny for you. Yeah, it was funny for me at the time. But people like legitimately flipped their fucking lids and thought the world was going to end. And like 1201, well, I suppose that makes it 01, 101. Wow. We, we partied like it was 1999 and then 2000 came along and every everything just kept working. So in the 2000s, we saw flash drives that were 120, like flash drives hit the market. And like, again, the level of data that this like flash drives, like it was maybe 50 megabytes. It was enough that you could put like a minute of video a cut like three songs on. I remember like at music showcases, we would have flash bites for flash drives for everybody. And we thought it was so fucking cool. And you could put a PDF with a one pager that was kind of like a band summary and then three songs. And that was fucking it. And they had to be short songs. <laughs> like now you can buy a 128 gigabyte flash drive for $20. Like it's amazing. We had Skype. So prior to Skype, if you wanted to talk to somebody overseas, you were looking at $20 for 20 minutes. Like it just didn't even happen. 2005, Google Maps, thank the gods. 2005, we also saw YouTube hit the market. We all know what YouTube is now. 2007, the iPhone. 2007 also saw the Amazon Kindle. In 2011, the Mars rover launched and landed in 2014. And now we have the alien, the Mars resident himself, Elon Musk, sending people back. 2012, we saw the first driverless cars. In 2018, 1.5 million people had purchased electric cars because inventing the technology, my friend, does not necessarily mean adoption. Can you remember life before Tesla? So much has, has changed that just feels completely normal. And so remember that the next time you're hit with something that feels so disruptive, it is destructive. Reflect on Y2K. Reflect on floppy disks. Remember life before Google Maps. Some of this tech is going to change your life and for the better. And the only way to know 
is to try it. Now, I wanted to just take a few, a few last of your minutes to just run through some of the biological advances in just the last 20 years, let alone 40. So one, I survived, yay. <laughs> in 2001, Abio created the first artificial heart that powers itself. In 2003, we mapped the Human Genome Project. And like I talked about last time, we don't even have to age anymore if you can afford it. But I'm sure that easily is going to become more accessible. In 2004, this was an interesting one I didn't I didn't really know about. We um, identified the graphene isolate, which is an atom-thin carbon allotrope. It's the soft lake material used in pencil lead, if you remember writing with a pencil. But this isolate creates more efficient solar panels, water filtration systems, even defense against mosquitoes. And if you've ever been to any part of the world where malaria or mosquito-borne illness is a thing, that is a fucking game changer. Like that is going to eliminate so much illness, so much death, so much struggle, and so much fear and for for millions, if not tens of millions of people. And that happened in 2004. Didn't even know about that. Stem cell research and gene editing started in 2012. And a lot of people think we're like creating these superhumans. And I know people going through IVF right now that are, are yeah, like picking, picking certain genetic elements in their children. And again, that probably sounds super freaky deaky to some of you. Those children are also not going to deal with some of the issues that people of my generation certainly had to deal with. Like, I mean, just a whole range of diverse abilities and struggles that families and individuals are forced to deal with because they didn't have a choice. Now, you are more than welcome to your own opinions on that choice and that that technology ultimately, but my thing is it's here. So what do we want to do with that? In 2013, the Hadron Collider identified the Higgs boson particle. And I'm bringing this up as sort of, I mean, there have been so many fucking advances since then, but this particle lends strong support to the standard model of particle physics, which is one of the most fundamental forces in the universe. And we just saw the Nobel Prize go out to recognize this concept of quantum physics of particle physics that like magic is real. <laughs> That's my biggest takeaway. I'm clearly not a physicist. I do have a podcast called the Quantum Business Book Club that is moving into the Discord container. We're actually going to do The Blue Ocean. It's going to be our first book. We voted on those books. I'm going to be sharing them this weekend with anybody in the container so you can get your books for the Quantum Business Book Club. But why did I call it that, my friend? Because of the standard model of particle physics that if I am reading this book, that this person wrote at a certain point of time, sharing certain ideas. And in my brain, I am now synergizing these ideas. I am time traveling. I am creating. I am in connection and community with people I don't even know, nor have ever met, nor will ever share physical space with. But yet we are collaborating together and actually in each other's physical proximity, physical space, and affecting each other without necessarily even seeing it or knowing it. Okay, that's the end of my um back to the future rant. I mean, and like obviously I skimmed. I I like skimmed isn't even I did the 15 minute, well, 30, 30-ish minute summary of this, but it was fun. It was fun walking down memory lane. Thank you for giving me that opportunity and for humoring me. As per always, I wouldn't be here without you. I do this, I do this for me, but I do, you know, this for me for you. 
I would love to hear from you. I would love to get some questions. Hello at Nicole BZ is one way. If you know me, you know, email is my least favorite form of communication. I highly encourage you to get onto the loop. That is the weekly-ish newsletter that shares all of the fun things if that's your poison. Otherwise, please join the Discord community. It is free. It is always going to be free. Yes, there will be paid for experiences and channels within that, but you are going to get the most of me in there, the daily doses of me, the uh, much more familiar version rather than the uh, highly curated social media version. And I... I'm like quite literally doing this, doing coaching, now providing tech and consulting services and building a better world on Web3 because I believe in you and your ideas and your business and what you take seriously. That's all I got. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye.